Welcome into another episode of The Huddle. I'm Pete Hooley, and we have a very special guest who started this NBL 24 season on fire, Jordan Hunter from the Sydney Kings. And if you think you know Jordy Hunter is just a fantastic basketballer, you're about to find out that that is just one layer to this exceptional human being. He does a lot more off the court and actually had dreams of becoming a professional baseball player of all things. So I hope you enjoy this chat here with Jordan Hunter. You've got a pretty cool hobby, I would assume. It's, it's probably more than a hobby right now. Can you fill me in on that? And I love my riding and all that. And once upon a time, I was this scrawny, artsy kid in his brain. He's asking if I want to play college basketball. And what I replied is like, yeah, I want to go to UCLA. I'm, gonna, I'm trying to go to film school. That would be really special. It's a bit of a moonshot, but I think so is, you know, being a basketball player. Jordy, welcome to the huddle. Thanks for giving us your time. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks, Pete. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about the season, obviously, but I want to get into this onion that is Jordy Hunt. I want to break down all the layers. <laughs> but firstly, let's touch on the start of the season because you have started well. The Kings have started well. What's impressed you the most? What's impressed me the most? I reckon just seeing how much the ball is zinging around has been great. Um, I think we're leading the league in assists by a considerable margin. So that was definitely a metric that we wanted to nail and maybe expected some growing pains with some new pieces, but the willingness to share the ball and make that extra pass has been really impressive from the from the get-go. Now, you're a very humble man, so I'm not going to expect too much out of this, but you personally have started the season on fire. What were your goals and mindset heading into this season? Obviously, with the signing of Jonah Bolden coming out of retirement, but what what did you want to get out of this year as a whole? I know it's early on, but you're flying right now. Uh, thank you, Pete. That means a lot. And um, personal goals, I'm first and foremost, I'm enjoying uh, feeling really good. Like my body feels great, and you know, as a as a big guy hurting a lower extremity, it can take a while to to uh, you know, feel yourself again. And I I was hoping for a, a bigger role this year and um, new coach and that's that's given me the opportunity that I'm seeing so far. You know, you don't want to count your chickens and lock yourself in for the whole season, but it's going really well so far and I'm very grateful for the opportunity. And, um, you know, I want to be as consistent as possible, but I've, I've had a... I've had a few good games and hopefully I can string string some more together. Tell us a little about the, the new coach, Mahmoud. I mean, terrific person. I've been lucky enough to chat to him a lot since in Summer League and just a really high character. And coming from a high character yourself where everybody loves to be around you, I get that it's the same <laughs> feeling for your new head coach as well. Yeah, he's been such good value. So it's obviously tough. He's moved across the, across the world with his wife and into a, a new and scary city like Sydney. And he's... <laughs> He's adjusted really well and he's he's just a great person to have around and I think that goes such a long way. So, you know, the, these early successes have a lot to do with what he's demanding of us and his mechanism for delivering what is demanded of us has been top-notch. I'm intrigued as to, obviously, this off-season you come in, everyone's talking about the Kings 3 Pete. It's incredibly hard to do at any level, let alone a professional level and in basketball. Was it spoken about a whole lot? Because you kind of, I think I've spoken a lot to the Kings players and the staff. You've taken a step forward with so much change in in bringing in new pieces. I know Jalen Adams is back, but two other new pieces there. You bring in a whole new coach. Is it spoken about a whole lot? Does Mahmoud say much about it in the preseason? Or is it kind of, look, we obviously know what we're trying to do, but I don't want to bring it up anymore. 
Mood will be the last guy to bring it up. He's he's just next game mentality to the max. Um, obviously, we are, are fully aware of the narrative around getting that difficult task done. But I think on the whole, the group has done a really good job of just staying locked in on the on the task at hand. And you, when you fill a room with a bunch of great professionals, they understand that you're not going to win the championship next Sunday. You're going to piece it together by stringing good wins together. So is it discussed? I wouldn't, you know, we know we know what's going on in the narrative and the media and all that, of course, but uh, Dick Boy's are doing a really great job of staying focused. With these new pieces, you talk about good professionals and, and great people and it's something we've seen. Culture wins championships so often more so than talent. Is there anything particularly you guys do in the preseason in terms of culture, team building activities that you can shed some light on? If you've got any secrets, I mean, feel free to break them out because <laughs> I'd like to be on that level. But I feel like there's just something about this team and that continues to grow in terms of that culture. I think people, there's there's definitely interest in like what we're doing differently to other people. I'm, I, I haven't been outside of the Sydney Kings, so I don't know if I can exactly speak to what's going on on the... But I, I don't know if there's some sort of secret source. Like I think we have the best front office going around, but again, I can't compare it to anyone, but they're just great people and they know the game really well and their pedigree is amazing. And they're putting together teams that really fit together well. And so when you have a bunch of new pieces coming in, they want that basketball chemistry to work, but they also want them to step into the locker room and be great guys to be around. And... You know, I think a lot of organizations are prioritizing character as much as they are basketball um, smarts and basketball skill. But, you know, it can maybe be underrated a little bit just how important it is to have someone come in from the US or from overseas and slide into an Australian culture and an Australian organization and really fit in and really gel with the other guys. So I think our front office and our coaches for that matter as well, like that it's on them as much as, um, the front office to help everyone assimilate, but they, it's just, you know, bringing in great character guys goes such a long way. Do you put any emphasis on when a new guy comes in to really try and help them mesh with the rest of the group as quick as possible? Because I, I have spoken to a lot of past Kings players and they always like to bring up the fact that how you're a great character to be around. It's almost like <laughs> you've gone and tried to make that transition as seamlessly as possible. Whether you mean to or not, is that just the way that you like to be playing professional team sport? I'm aware that I can maybe contribute some value as I'm a bit of an odd duck sometimes. So if, <laughs> I, if I'm as comfortable and how strange I can be sometimes or how forthcoming I can be, then it will hopefully break down someone's shell as soon as they get here and they know that, oh, I'm not going to be as weird as this dude. So I can kind of be whoever I want to be and that, that's going to be fine. And if you have people being who they are, as soon as they get here, they're going to feel more comfortable. The group's going to feel more comfortable. Like no one wants anyone coming in wearing a mask and having to pretend to be someone that they're not. And if, if I, like we have, we have plenty of guys who are making guys feel comfortable. I'm, I'm probably going to contribute more on the, you know, belligerent weirdness uh, direction. <laughs> so if, uh, if that's what I've got to do, then I, you know, I don't know if I'm doing deliberately as much as just there's some programming going wrong, but it's, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll do what I can. 
we, we see, however you want to describe it, but a lot of us on the outside didn't see that about you, and that's why I think you, you've become a fan favourite pretty quickly at your time at the Kings. It almost seems for a lot of us on the outside in that you wouldn't go through potentially any tough times. You're always up and about. But I want to rewind to the first year the Kings won the chip, 2022, because the season started off pretty rough for you. And take us back into how it all began, because I think it was there was a COVID isolation thing, the first yeah. kind of setback that you had. Can you kind of run us through that timeline? Yeah, it was a crazy time for the whole world, and we had a. It was we had someone enter the building with COVID, but they didn't know that they had COVID at the time, and so at that time, that everyone who had been in the building that day ended up in their room for two weeks minimum, um, and that that was a, thus was the state of the world, <laughs> and we ended up in a doing yoga on Zoom and having tr- team trivia nights and stuff, but like. I'm fine if you lock me in my room for two weeks. My my weakness is probably going to be staying in as best shape as possible. <laughs> Everyone was absolutely shedding muscle and losing weight and all that. And I'm, I'm not thinking I was like gaining muscle, but I didn't lose any weight. And so there was like probably too much cheese and crackers involved. And um, like, it was, you know, it was a great time, but I was, I was in my bedroom for about two weeks. Um, two weeks actually underselling it. I tested positive on day six. So then I start my 14 days again. So it was a sweet time to be alive. Uh, but I'd, so I'd three weeks in the in the bedroom in the middle of the NBL preseason. Uh, I came back in and we were, you know, we were getting the ball rolling intelligently. We'd all just spent two to three weeks in in isolation. But then I, I broke my finger in a, in a warm-up game of all things. We were playing like a touch footy thing and I, um, like a flag football and I got my finger caught in someone's jersey and I broke it. Um, so just a freak, like, you know, <laughs> warm-up game injury. That's not how you necessarily want to go down, but that's what happened. So as I was working back through that, um, I mean, we have the best performance physio guys. Like, they've, you know, basically carried me on their shoulders for a few years now. But that first training where I was reintegrating back into the team, I think it was round two or three of that season. Um, my first training full full blast was like last play. I took off on a closeout and my foot popped on the takeoff. Um, and so like I'd, I'd never broken a bone up until that point. And then I broke my finger and then first training back, I'd broken my navicular. It was a bit of a, it was a bit of a bung ankle. So the ligaments were all a bit slack and, so when they went in and the navicular was broken, they read, they basically redid all the ligaments in there, basically a full ankle rico. Um, and that was the whole season gone right there. So that was, that was a new one for me. Like I'd had injury setbacks in college and all that, but I'd never missed a game. So that was, that was definitely a new one. What goes through your mind there? Because you, someone who loves to be practicing, you're someone who loves to be on the floor, be around the guys. Obviously, you're still around the guys. So when your sport is then, your livelihood is taken away from you, how hard was it to deal with, I guess, mentally and emotionally more so than just physically? Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's worse fates um, out there. But it was, yeah, it was a weird... I'd had a, I'd really enjoyed that season before, but the Kings were going through a lot of change. And I was in you know, hopefully a good position to continue that momentum from the previous season. Um, and, you know, the universe can be funny sometimes. It's like, no, not not this year. It's <laughs> You're going to be watching the whole season. So, look, I was surrounded by my wonderful partner and family and the friends and my teammates were amazing. It was 
as I said, there are worse fates, but it wasn't. But, I mean, our performance team and our physios were just sensational and have really got me back feeling really great. So it, it, there was tough times for sure. And, you know, that rehab process can be an absolute monotonous grind. They were they were really great about keeping it keeping it fresh for someone who's maybe a bit of a bit of a magpie. As someone who's also broken their navicular, I did, did that in college, so we can share oh, that. We've got a bond. We've got a bond since. now for the rest of our lives. Oh, uh, <laughs> that first year, so then the Kings go on and win a title, and I think I spoke to you after that. Uh, what it's like, you're you're a championship player, and a similar thing happened to, to Jack White, and you, you're not on the floor for it. And we know how hard it is to win a title, and at the time. It's hard to look back now because you win a title the following year and can contribute to it. But at the time, what what were you feeling like? Because obviously you're a championship player, and this isn't the AFL where you don't get a medal if you don't play in that in that all important game. Like you still are recognised. But how did that make you feel? Obviously celebrating, but just knowing that you weren't on the floor to be part of it at that time. Yeah, I'll, I mean, I was first and foremost so happy for the guys that were out there, and it was such an such an awesome thing to be a part of. Um, but you are getting those, you know, everyone's up coming up like, we'll be back next year and, you know, we'll, we'll get one with you out there. And that's easy to say in the, in the immediate aftermath of winning that first one. But um, I do feel very fortunate that we were able to get back there and it was a slightly different path. Like we kind of snuck under the radar that first year and, um, struggled a bit at the start, strung that great winning streak together, still ended up third and maybe not the favorites and Tassie had that beautiful run and um but we didn't lose in the finals it was kind of like felt like house money a little bit then the next year we were kind of top of the table the whole way and we'd won the year before cans came in and nearly knocked us off in the in the semi and then new zealand took us to finals it was i feel like the resounding feeling for everyone was this kind of relief that we had won Whereas last year was like this euphoria, like how the hell did we do that? But last year was like, oh, I feel like we maybe snuck away with one there. Um, but sometimes that's, you know, that you got to just get it done um, at some point and it doesn't really matter how you feel afterwards. But it was definitely a little bit sweeter being out on the floor with the guys and able to contribute. And I mean, we had that great kind of bench mob game in that second game in New Zealand that was just, you know, for guys who are, filling a role and super committed and selfless to deliver something that's maybe not as shiny and glamorous as what's going on for everyone else to then kind of have this weird moment where someone's hurt and someone's in huge foul trouble and you guys are going to have to step in and get this done and to get it done is very it was very rewarding and definitely a very fun memory i'm going to touch on the bench squad a, a little bit uh in a few but i want to go back to so you sit out the entire year and a lot of people think okay professional athlete besides rehabbing they're going to sit on video games they're going to do all this stuff <laughs> outside of but you've got a pretty cool hobby i would assume it's it's probably more than a hobby right now can you fill me in on that um i thought you were going to ask when i initially got hurt and i'm just sitting watching the nba finals and the ashes and <laughs> having the best time ever um no, I, it was, you know, and that's probably to, you know, you could speak to it as well. Being injured, you, you're suddenly faced with this, to be dramatic, like this basketball mortality thing. And it's like, all right, this gets taken away from my friends before they're ready all the time. Like that's, 
the story we hear more often than not is guys like, oh, I don't have a contract this year or um, my body's not going to let me do this anymore. And then I'm, I would love to keep going, but now I've got to go figure out what's next. Um, and I, f- I feel like I've got a, a, a lot to give still with basketball, so that's good. But I, I have always been super passionate about, you know, on the on a more creative side, and I love my writing and all that. And once upon a time, I was this scrawny, artsy kid that just, like, did all the musicals at school and loved plays and did music and drama and loved writing and filmmaking and all these very, um, you know, creative pursuits that have kind of had to take a back seat since I've become such a hulking um, <laughs> basketball player. Um, but that that passion and that interest never really went away. And I, I only started playing basketball when I was 15 years old. So it's not something that I've, you know, it was, I think when you're tall, it often finds you more than um, you kind of seek it out. Cause I was always a sporty kid, but I grew up in the States playing baseball and soccer and things like that. And I wasn't, I was tall, but I was never like, I'm so tall. I better play basketball, but like I was fortunate to pick up the game and fall in love with it, which was, you know, I, maybe not every tall person's journey, but I've never really lost that love for writing and, um, you know, that world. And I love my music and love my movies and being injured was an opportunity to, well, you know, I, I would, I would say it, was, it kept me sane as much as anything. And it, it has always been kind of that escape and like reading is and, watching films and playing video games for guys it is just such an awesome opportunity to step out of yourself a little bit and so it's just been hugely important for me and um still still trying to do that every day and it's something i hope that when the time comes and it's on my terms ideally i can step right into something in that in that field that would be that would be really special it's a bit of a moonshot but i think so is you know being a basketball player Well, I heard or I read somewhere that this started as an idea to write a movie script. Is that how it all came about? You wanted to do a movie script and a lot of people would think, okay, you're just going to write something and and just keep it to yourself. And now it's turned into something a whole lot more with the plans for the novel, obviously. It's, I wrote a like 10 episode TV show. Um, So I I spent some time doing that, but it turned out to be like 700 pages and it was, um, it didn't feel like that arduous. It was something that really poured out of me a little bit and then it is something you know the tv world is they're not they're not strapping millions of dollars into a production um from someone who's not written something before or something that's not got any um novel or video game or even podcast nowadays behind it um so i got some really fancy and generous people reading this stuff that I put together just, you know, in some sort of naive thing that I could make a TV show. Uh, but they were really positive and really supportive. And they said, you know, this is, we love the story. We love this and kind of turn it into a, a novel. And then it's a 50 year plan, Pete, but you know, you turn it into a novel and you get people to read it and they love the novel. And then they're like, now we'll make you a TV show. But I mean, I'm still enjoying that process. And it's, you know, it's, it's learning and getting better at a craft, which is, kind of what I've dedicated my whole life to thus far. So that muscle remains the same. And it's it's great to kind of give me something away from basketball that really invigorates me because I feel very fortunate to be passionate about one thing like with basketball and to have more than one passion, I think is just, I feel very fortunate that that's, that's calling me. And um, 
I'll keep chipping away at it and it's, you know, a little bit different in season because I really try to uh, knuckle down and focus there, but it's still something I can chip away, chip away at and then, you know, off season rolls around and who knows, baby, we might have a novel in the works. Hey, don't tell us too much about the plot. I'm sure there's a bit of a surprise <laughs> to it, but can you give us the genre at least? Because I, I know you're a fantasy sci-fi kind of guy. Is that the path we're yeah. going down? Because I, I would see you, I know you're engaged. I, I know you're playing to, with all that. And I'm thinking like a crazy, stupid love type movie because it's, a, I think, a banger oh. of a movie. And I would assume you're the same. Are we like down that path? Are we down the notebook, sci-fi? What, what's the genre here we're writing? <laughs> Look, Crazy Stupid Love is that is top notch, and my algorithm yep. right now seems to be very heavy on the on the clips from that movie. Um, it is. I've always been a bit of a sci fi fantasy nerd, and like the Lord of the Rings was just like a big bang for me when I was growing up. It was just I don't know rewired my brain at a very young age. But loved that and Star Wars and um, June is amazing. It's a little bit. On the nerdier side, but they're making these um, the, the movies now with these beautiful Hollywood actors, so it's definitely um, <laughs> more digestible. Um, but it's it's in the it's in the fantasy. It's a fantasy novel, and I'm I'm very inspired by like those things that I just mentioned, but also stuff like Mad Max, and I love those Studio Ghibli movies like Spirited Away and Princess Mononoke. So there's definitely a wide variety of um, you know dweeby interests that you know grease in my gears but i'm hopefully channeling as much as that as possible into into this work and mostly it's just you know about my family and i've placed them in a very fantastical situation and that's what, <laughs> that's what most of these situations are about it's just their personal lives and you add in some mythical creatures and you know hodgepodge I'm I'm very excited for this complete product because again I've my wife's favorite movie is actually Spirited Away so once I met her she made me watch it and fantastic so I'm excited for yeah, that I want to touch choice. on your family uh, and your upbringing actually because not many people would know that you actually spent a lot of your childhood in the states and you mentioned playing yeah. baseball what firstly what position does a guy of your stature play on a baseball field and uh, tell us a little bit about all that um, yeah so when I was five years old um, my old man who's a he's a doctor he got an opportunity in boston and it was supposed to be three years and we ended up staying eight my sister was born over there i'm one of i'm one of four kids i'm the eldest um so mum's moved mum and dad have moved over there with me as a five-year-old my brother as a two-year-old and my next brother as a two-month-old so not a small <laughs> not a small ask um but i like I loved it. Like such formative years, obviously we ended up being there for eight years um, and just baseball. And uh, it's hard to, it's hard to articulate how amazing baseball is to people who haven't grown up consuming it, but I kind of liken it to the acquired taste that cricket is, which is also just a, an amazing, an amazing game. Um, but yeah, just growing on the Red Sox were just the bees and knees through that period of time. And, um, really, really loved my baseball, and like I was, I was just not playing basketball. And um, at my size, like you probably want to be pitching, but I, I kind of only dabbled there. I loved first base; um, that was kind of the position I, I wanted to play most of the time. And as I was kind of getting older, I ended up um, getting into center field a little bit. I think because I could back in the day when I was young and wiry, I could really spread my legs out a little bit and cover some ground and had a bit of a, a rocket to home plate. So 
from center field. So I, um, I did a bit of that. Um, and then when we moved home, like I was, I was devastated. I was like 13 years old. It was not at all. I thought I was American. Like I had the full American accent and that's, you're not a human being before you're five years old. So that was, it's basically my whole life. Um, obviously so, so glad we did now and I wouldn't change it in a second, but, uh, yeah, we came back and the baseball situation was a bit far away from where we're living and mum and dad were like, it's an hour away. Do you want to keep doing it? And it was a real crossroads moment like that. You don't realize when you're 13 years old. And I was like, huh, no, it's all good. And I started high school and wanted to play cricket and rugby to make Australian friends. Cause how else are you supposed to <laughs> make Australian friends and play cricket and rugby? And I lasted, I think two seasons playing cricket and one playing rugby before the rugby became soccer and the cricket became basketball. So it was kind of, you know, as soon as I picked up a basketball, I was like carrying it under my arm uh, around school all day and going back to class, drip sweating in my uniform after recess and lunch. And it was a real, you know, really honed my game on the on the outdoor courts at, at school. Is there any chance that you could play a little baseball in the off season now? We see some dual sports uh, athletes around and when if the seasons line up, because do you still have the love as though if it was a, a local game or you had the chance, you'd love to go down there and do you, do you play catch at all with your brothers or is it just completely put, <laughs> is it in the toy chest now? Dane Pano and I used to go to games in college with baseball mitts, like eight-year-old kids. <laughs> We'd be sitting nowhere near like the territory where the ball might show up. But maybe if you were pitching to me, Pete, I would get out and play yep. baseball. But I'm not naive enough to think I could jump out <laughs> having not played in half my life and strap on, but I, I do watch the Red Sox for a bit, you know, had a bit of a stinker this year and fired their GM and had a bit, bit of turnover, which is going to be pretty thrilling for your viewers to hear about the ins and outs of the Red Sox front <laughs> office. Um, but, I'm, you know, the playoffs, I'm still watching that and I think I'm going for the Phillies. You know, you grow up, when you grow up playing, you, you're given a team, the team you play for is like a professional team. So I was the Phillies for a lot of it and I was the Cardinals and when you're a child and things like that happen somehow you just maintain an affinity for those teams <laughs> You've, and then it's working right now uh, with the way that the Phillies are playing is the love for America then and you said you wanted to come back and you wanted to stay in America when you were there and is that one of the main reasons you wanted to go back and experience college because you went to St. Mary's and uh, especially I would probably a late bloomer in college with the way that your career went but there's a lot of Australian connection as well there but what led you to really wanting to experience that was it the basketball was it the study was it just the fact that it was back in the United States um I, I wanted to go to college and this is yeah, this is Silly, to be honest, but <laughs> I was uh, I was playing well for North Sydney and simultaneously interested in going to do school in LA. Like I wasn't planning on playing basketball beyond high school. Like it wasn't an option in my reality. Um, and so that was probably film school or something, you know, uh, of one of those aforementioned interests. I was <laughs> hopefully going to go over and explore that. Um, at the same time, I have the AIS code. Just shows how, like, just mindless. Like, I had no idea what was going on. Like, after coming up to the basketball ranks, like, Cape, Capes was coming up from Canberra to work me out at school, and I was in the middle of exams, so I hadn't touched a basketball in two weeks. And I think he'll probably still say it was one of the worst indies he's ever he's ever seen. But he was generous enough to give me another crack, and 
um, the first time he met me, he asked if I had interest in playing, in going to college. In his brain, he's asking if I want to play college basketball. And what I replied is like, yeah, I want to go to UCLA. And I'm like, I'm, gonna, I'm trying to go to film school. Um, so, but I mean, at the same time, I wasn't crazy. Like I was doing well in the New South Wales comp and Jonah had just gone to UCLA doing well out of the New South Wales comp. So obviously that's what I meant. Um, but I think Kate's had a bit of a laugh. Um, and I kind of finished, I finished school. I had schoolies booked and there was, um, I think ice was injured. I think it was ice at the last minute before the Oceania qualifiers. Um, and so Kate's called me the night before and asked if I could come to Fiji. Um, and I'd done a, like, I'd done a weekend, um, before down there at the shoot and it went well and um i've been playing i've been playing well enough with the great robbie mckinlay who's at the coe now he was uh, my north coach and so i ended up on that uh oceania qualifiers team and capes asked if i wanted to come to the shoot for that six month block before you know guys would go off to college my age and kind of off that Oceania stuff and the North stuff wrapping up, I was starting to talk to Marty Clark and Randy Bennett. And um, I think, you know, I didn't really understand what was, what was going on and what that world was like. And Kate's was like, I didn't, I didn't think St. Mary's would be offering you this quick, but um, it, it had kind of been how it had gone for me. Like kind of like I missed my 18 state team and I played for Australia before I played for New South Wales. And it kind of just, happened and I was just happy to be there and like having fun and <laughs> just enjoying the opportunities as they arose. Um, which is, you know, that's basically all I tell young kids, just as long as you're having fun with it, like that stuff will take care of itself. And yeah, all of a sudden I was going to St. Mary's as, uh, you know, we went over a visit and it was reminding me of high school it was small and there was Aussies everywhere and it was beautiful weather and the people were great and went over there and yeah, it wasn't, you know, necessarily, something I was ready for and Dane Pinot was there and he was well established and Jock Landale was coming through the ranks. And so I went over there my first year and kind of those first two years, it was a toss up of like, should I redshirt or should I not? And as often happens with these college things, it's no, we're going to need you. And I'm like, Oh, I think if you're hesitating, then maybe I should redshirt and say, no, we're going to need you. And then they usually don't need you as often as they <laughs> make you believe. But I had just the, the best time living in San Francisco with, you know, moves off campus after the first year and living with teammates in an apartment and we just, it's the best time. And college basketball was super hard. Like by the end of it, I was not sure I wanted to keep playing. It was that full on, to be honest. But, um, you know, Weave, Weaver gave me a buzz up at the end of my senior year and my senior year had been a, you know, I'd got some good opportunity and done well with it. And, um, yeah, Weaver gave me a buzz and, Again, I was contemplating moving to LA and giving this writing thing a crack, which makes my stories and all my anecdotes kind of sound one foot in, one foot out. But I think I've just, you know, that I've always had that itch and it always seems to be basketball that I come back to. So uh, in my head, when we've called, I was like, if this sucks after one year, I can just pack it in. Like there's no, there's no, you know, I can just, I can feel it out. I get to go to Sydney. They're paying me bloody money to play basketball. Um, and I went that first year was just amazing and it ended oddly, but 
I was, you know, learning from bogues and from kicks and Luke Longley shows up a few days in. I'm like, what the hell is going on? Like, I thought it was a candid camera. Um, but just, yeah, just had the best time and somehow I'm still here. They're still paying me to show up. I think you're allowed to have one foot in, one foot out when they don't coincide. There's not like two dual sports at the same time. I think it works perfectly. <laughs> Clearly works perfectly for you, but you come into the Kings and you what you've created since then is one of the best bench units and cultures we've seen in some time. And we know depth wins championships, but I get the feeling this year that your bench squad, your bench unit, how tight they are. So talking quite noise, Sean Bruce, Angus Glover, probably see you as a bit of a traitor. Now, because now you're starting, you're playing starters minutes, and you mentioned game two last year, you all came together and got a massive win on the road. Is that true? Because I remember the bench units rolling around. We used to beat up on the starters. We stuck together. It was the bench versus starters throughout the week, yeah. and then we'd come together for a game. Is that what's going on right now? I'm hoping I still got enough bench mob blood coursing through my veins, and nice of you to leave Jalen Galloway out as well, who's also... Another one, yes. yes. Also abandoned shit. Um, but, I mean... Those those three guys you mentioned will step into a starting role whenever needed and deliver. And I mean, Quad for one has been absolutely cooking to start the year. But it's there's maybe to your question before about what the secret has kind of been for these few years is like those five that are you know there's a lot put into who starts and who doesn't start necessarily, and it's not necessarily that as important as maybe it, it feels, but the five guys who aren't getting that opportunity to start are ready to start and they're chomping at the bit and they're pushing those guys who are starting and the trainings are equally matched. And that I, I said it last week, like Jonah Bolden's going to be better than anyone I play all year. And to have that opportunity every day is just what a blessing. I'm hoping I help him get better. He sure as hell gets me better. And if you continue having that every day, then, you know, it, it'll take you a long way, as we've seen. Jordy, we appreciate your time. We'd love to just learn a little bit about you. I, the only thing I want to know from you, I want to ask from you before I let you go, is that when this yeah. novel does get complete, I, I need a signed copy. And I feel like <laughs> it's something that, if not for me, as I said, my wife is big into this kind of stuff, spirited away. So can you promise me a signed copy? That's that feels pretty easy, Pete. I can I can make that work. I feel, uh, now I'm on record saying that I'm working on this thing. It's like such a party foul to talk about something before it's finished, <laughs> especially when I've never bloody done anything. But it is. Uh, now I'm on. Now I'm being held accountable. I owe you a signed copy of something that doesn't exist yet. Hey, I'll, I'll hold you to it because you make me better, and by that I mean you make my super coach better. Jordy, I appreciate you, man. I have great start to the season. Good luck for the rest of it, and good luck on the quest for the three peak. Thank you so much, Pete. Talk to you soon.